I'm just glad it came out holy mackerel, okay? Because I didn't plan to say anything there. Completely impromptu response. I mean, it was scary, guys. Just watching it takes me back to that moment. Honestly, I wasn't that scared until I got right up to the edge. I really wasn't that nervous. And all of a sudden, you're at the edge and you realize there's no going back. And you know, the jump master told me one in five people statistically, they get to that place, they're right on the edge, they're all harnessed up, one in five chicken out. They go back the other way. It's a good thing I knew all of you would be watching because I don't know what I would have done, all right? But this I know, we're learning to live fearlessly, and that's why I did that trip to Dallas, learning to live fearlessly. And the reality is many of you are in that very place today. You're right on the edge, quite frankly, of taking that next step of faith. And just like me bungee jumping, it feels really scary. It feels really risky. I mean, you're living dangerously, but God wants to teach you how to live by faith in spite of all of your fears. And this is what we're learning in the study of Joshua. Listen very carefully. We have an enemy that wants to steal our victory and one of the number one weapons of the adversary is fear. He wants to steal our victory through fear. And uh, I got this from a guy named Dan Gerdes in our church, good friend. He, he does some of our teaching and some of our uh, groups and he happens to be a sports psychologist by training. He lectures down in Warrensburg. So Dan gave me this and I thought this was really good. I wanna share it with you. What is fear really? Fear is false evidence appearing real. And that is always the weaponry of the adversary to present false evidence appearing real to hold us in fear. And in essence, that's what I experienced. Listen, uh, I, I screamed like a little middle school girl, no offense to middle school girls, uh, because quite frankly, it felt like I was falling to my death. I mean, that's what it felt like. I'm free falling to my death. And as I'm looking down, I'm seeing real terra firma and it's getting closer and closer and closer. It was really, really scary. But it was false evidence appearing real. The entire time I was harnessed up to something. I was never in any real danger, though it felt like I was in real, real danger. And listen, God does this in our life for a reason. There are times he's gonna let you fall just to teach you that he can catch you. I'm convinced there are times he's gonna push you right to the brink where you realize there's no going back. I mean, there is no chicken exit here, and at times he's gonna close the door behind you to force you to take another step before you. He'll bring you right to the edge, and guess what he does then? Because he wants us to experience the power and presence of God in our life, that he really is strong enough to catch us when it feels like we are falling and our life is completely out of control. But Satan wants to counter that with false evidence appearing real. Remember what happened in Joshua 3 as they're about to cross over into the promised land that God said would flow with milk and honey. Forty years earlier, they'd come to the same moment, the same Hebrews, the nation of Israel. They'd been delivered from uh, the bondage of Egypt and God has brought them now on the brink of crossing over into the promised land. But you remember what happened? They send 12 spies over, Numbers chapter 13, and they see giants in the land. And these giants really are giants. And uh, they come back and report, yeah, it's just like God said, it's a fruitful land, a beautiful land, but there's giants in the land and they're stronger than we are. But here's the reality. It was false evidence appearing real. Yeah, the giants were real, 
real, but their fear was distorted. It was disproportionate. You see, fear exaggerates and magnifies the situation. Numbers chapter 13, remember what they said? We were like grasshoppers compared to them. Now, come on. I know these were some big old boys, and I know they really were giants, but grasshoppers, seriously? I mean, see, fear made the giants look larger than they really were. It distorted reality, and that's always, you see, what Satan wants to do in our life, distort reality. If we're going to live fearlessly, we want to learn to live faithfully, because only when we're living faithfully instead of fearlessly can we live lives fruitfully, and that means living in the promised land spiritually. God wants you to live a fruitful life, but you can't live fruitful if you're living fearful, because you never become faithful and get to the other side of the Jordan. So we need to learn and just make the decision today, listen carefully, that fear always distorts reality. If you're making decisions out of fear, I will promise you that you're making wrong decisions. Bad decisions are born out of fear. Fear is a horrible motivator. It's a terrible decision maker. And so every time you start to make a decision, ask yourself, is this a faith-based decision or is it a fear-based decision? Because fear always distorts reality. You need to decide that your ultimate reality will always be in what God says, no matter what you see. Because what you see often distorts reality. What God says is our true reality. Now listen, often what you see and what God says are contrary. So which one will you believe? See, most people go on what they see. They allow what they see to define their reality. But I'm going to tell you, as followers of the Most High God, those who have been born again by the blood of the Son of God, as children of the living God, we need to learn that what God says is the ultimate definer and decider of what is true in my life. That is the ultimate reality, not what I see. Here's an example, all right? So you're going through an incredible, difficult moment in your life, a horrible, horrible season of your life. And we all go through those moments in our life. Hey, we live in a broken world cursed by sin. That means bad things are going to happen to all men and all women. And Christians are not exempt. So you're going through this horrible season in your life, and it's harder than you ever thought it would be, and it's heavier than you ever thought it would be, and it's like this giant in your life, and this giant has hopped on your back, and you're carrying around this weight, this burden, and you think to yourself, I can't keep doing this. I can't carry this any longer. Here, that's that's not your reality. That's what you see. But let me tell you what God says. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the reality. Yes, what you see may feel like an impossibility, but that's not your reality. What God says is your reality. What you see feels like an impossibility. But Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. With men, it is impossible. I can do all things through Christ. Yes, I can carry this. Yes, I can do this. I don't have to cave into this. I don't have to give up. I don't have to give in. I can do this in Christ. You see, that's the reality. What you see is something contrary completely. But Pastor Phil, you understand, I have all these needs in my life, and I cannot possibly meet the needs. I cannot possibly meet the demands in my life. I got these bills rolling in, and I don't possibly have enough money to cover everything I need. No, that's what you see. But here's what God says, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not your every want, but your every need. 
See, what you see is contrary to what God said. Which one will begin to define your sense of reality? You see, to live by faith means I'm gonna believe it when it isn't so, so it'll be so, because God said it's so, even when it's not so. And see, we're learning ultimately, this is how we, we go from being a person of fear to a person of faith. You see, it's what you see with faith that is your ultimate reality, putting your faith in what God has said, no matter what you see. Now, we're about to cross over today into the promised land spiritually. We're right on the bank of the Jordan. We're about to cross over individually, and I pray corporately as a church family, Joshua chapter three, beginning verse one. If you're ready for this, say fearless. Here we go. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. Are you ready to cross over? Hey, here's a people, they've spent 40 years in the wilderness. They'd been to this place before, their mamas and their daddies before them had been delivered from Pharaoh's tyranny, and God had brought them on a journey now to the promised land that flowed with milk and honey. They got right to the brink of crossing over. There were giants in the land, and that's where they stayed. They got stuck halfway. Guys, that is where most of us are today. You've been, as a Christian, delivered from sin's penalty. You've been delivered from sin's authority. And now God wants to lead you on a journey to what Jesus called the promised land, spiritually life abundantly, yet most Christians live and die in the wilderness their entire life. That is where they choose to stay. They get stuck halfway. And as your pastor, I want nothing more than for you to take the next step and the one after that so that you can begin walking out John 10, 10. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's time to cross over from that wilderness of mediocrity and spiritual apathy because it feels like safety and security. It's time to take a step of faith. And yes, it's going to feel risky. And this is what they're about to do this day in Joshua chapter three. Remember, this is real history, it really happened. You ever go on the Holy Land tour with me? We will cross the Jordan in the very place Joshua three happened. And I want you to remember that this is real people and real places, real history, real events. But you know what 1 Corinthians 10 says? This is all our story. It is not just history. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that this happened as our example to follow. And look what happens next. It says, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, now I've told you recently, I'll say it again and again, every time in scripture you see this phrase, three days, it's like God is sending you a neon sign, a flashing light, trying to remind you of the source of our victory. What happened on the third day? Christ died for our sin, but three days later he rose again. Hope lives, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And it's not coincidental that this is here. No, this is the word of God. You know what that means? It's providential, not coincidental. They crossed over on the third day. Now look at what it says. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. What are we learning about crossing the Jordan? What are we learning about getting out of the wilderness spiritually and into the promised land? It's not accidental. The Israelites crossed over on the third day, a picture of the resurrection. 
You see, by crossing the Jordan, they were dying to their wilderness, and they were being resurrected on the third day, alive to God's promise, and that is what God wants to do in your life. Today is the day to die to your wilderness, that mediocrity spiritually, and cross over to become alive to God's promise, alive to God's power. And I want you to see, this is how we cross the Jordan in your life. This is how you do it. When you get out there on the edge where you realize there's a closed door behind me and you're right on the edge and it looks really, really scary and it's a lot higher up here than it looked down there and all of a sudden you feel that little voice of the Holy Spirit going, come on, don't make me push you, I'm gonna push you, right? How do you, make, how do you take that step? How do you get to the other side. Listen carefully. There is no resurrection without a crucifixion. A crucifixion implies complete submission. What is it God is trying to do in our life when we go through times of great fear and duress and stress, uh, things we cannot control? I'll tell you what he's trying to do. He's trying to get us to give up control. You know, I hear people say sometimes, well, so-and-so's a control freak. That's their problem. They're a control freak. Or so-and-so's a control freak. They're a control freak. Can I just say, everybody's a control freak. We're all control freaks. I'm a control freak. You know what that means? I want to control my life. I want to control the outcomes. That's what I want to have control of. I want to somehow save myself from any pain. I want to somehow save myself so I never have to suffer. I somehow want to have this, this closed climate and this kind of this, 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 this bubble of protection over me so I never have to feel any pain or any suffering. I want to save myself from any risk or anything that looks dangerous. And God is trying to teach us to live by faith. Listen, faith at times is going to feel risky. Faith at times, it is costly. But just like when I was falling to my death, I was never in any real danger because I was anchored to something. And God is trying to teach us here that the way you get over your fear is by letting go of control and let God completely control every aspect of your life. It's what the Apostle Paul would call the crucified life, Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now check this out. Jesus, as a child of God, lives in you. That's not allegory. That's literally Jesus. Jesus, when you received him by faith, came to live in you, how many of you would like for Jesus to start living through you? Listen, when Jesus starts living through you, boldness replaces fear. Passion replaces indifference. Courage replaces cowardice. And all of a sudden you find that it's always right to risk for the cause of Christ. When Jesus is living not just in you, but he starts living through you, you're going to start living fearlessly and faithfully and start living in John 10, 10, a life abundantly. Now here's the deal. Jesus can't live through you even though he lives in you until you have let go of you. And that's what Paul's talking about, the crucified life. I've got to die so Jesus can live. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why can we let go of control of our life and give Jesus all control of our life? Because he loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul's teaching positionally, your reality spiritually 2,000 years ago, is that you were in Christ because God knew there was gonna come a day you were gonna choose Jesus 
right there and then he placed you in Jesus. And as Jesus hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, you were in him, and because you were in him, you died with him, but because you died with him, you also resurrected with him. So now you can live in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that supernatural power to do things you didn't think at one time you could do. Now that is your positional reality as a child of God. You were in Christ, you died with him, therefore you rose with him. It's not enough though just to know it theologically or intellectually or to know your position spiritually unless you're willing to die now daily to live it out experientially, which is why this same Paul who said I'm crucified with Christ, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. You see, every single time you start to deal with fear, you die to yourself. And when you die to yourself, I promise you will die to your fear. See, what we're learning here to get across the Jordan River is you've got to in some way become like my daughter. So this is my sweet McKay. Now, she doesn't look this way anymore. And I'll tell you why she doesn't look this way anymore. She's now 22. She got married a year and a half ago. Now I started having kind of this walk down memory lane, these nostalgic daddy moments. I'll tell you why. Because a year and a half ago, uh, she got married uh, to her husband, and they more or less lived with us for a year and a half. And it was awesome, really, seriously. I know the Bible says to leave and cleave, but you know this whole leaving cleaving thing is a process, and honestly, I don't like it. I don't like it because I like my kids, really, seriously. It, 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 this whole process of working us in slowly. So they, they more or less live with us after they got married for a year and a half. And uh, last week on Wednesday, to be exact, I helped them move from the wilderness to the promised land, Kansas. <laughs> Shawnee, specifically, yeah. Now, I realize this is good, this is what they're supposed to do, it's time to leave you know, the nest, and it's time for them to start their own home and have their own space and all of that, leave and cleave, this is what, but, but honestly, it's one of those days where I know I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm really not. You know, it's just kind of a hard day for dad, seriously. And so uh, it made me kind of nostalgic. I started having these memories of thinking about my little girl in those early days. And this is McKay. She's probably about three years old. And this is on vacation. We'd gone down to the Midwest, middle class capital of vacation. I'm talking Branson, Missouri. And uh, in those days, you realize if you have little kids, you can go on vacation for the cheap because all you need is a hotel with a pool. If you got a pool, you got all you need. And so here we are, we're going down to the pool. This is in the pool house of our hotel. And I want you to notice something right here. McKay's hair is dry, it's not wet. Her bathing suit is dry, it's not wet. Her little rubber ducky inner tube, it's dry. You know why? Because she would not get in the water that day. Yeah, I, I, I got in the pool first and, and you know, my kids are little and I turn around and say, okay, jump, jump, jump. Her brother jumped and I catch him and we're splashing around, then the little brother's next and he jumps and I catch him splashing around. Now it's McKay's turn. I say, okay, baby, come on. <laughs> I mean, just like that. She had a little poochy lip. It was so cute back in those days. It was poochy. Baby, come on, seriously, I catch you. I mean, to a little girl, this pool must look like the Pacific Ocean. I mean, it's really scary. But why is she scared? Because her father's going to catch her. Why doesn't she trust her dad, right? Come on, baby. We can do this. Come on. 
I mean, I started to get frustrated, seriously. I remember bribing her, come on, honey, if you'll jump, we'll go to Dairy Queen, come on. <laughs> I mean, I tried bribing her, I think I might have even threatened her, but she would never, ever jump. It's like, McKay, jump, do it now. We're on vacation, we're gonna have fun. She never did jump that day, never. And honestly, I was a little bit wounded. How can a three-year-old hurt the heart of her father? I'll tell you why. Because she wouldn't trust me. And I admit, it actually kind of hurt me. Like, does she really think I can't catch her? Does she really think I'm not strong enough to take care of her? Does she really think I'm gonna let her drown? Seriously? She wouldn't trust her dad. And so, you know, Krista, she's, she's just snapping pictures anyway. It doesn't matter. And I'm not sure she saw this, what's going on. But she snaps this next picture. I'm in the pool with Jake. And he's happy. He's clappy. He's splashy. All's well in the world. But I want you to look at my face. <laughs> Do I look a little bit irritated there? It's because I am. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. Like, I can't get McKay to do Anything a little bit dangerous, yeah, granted, she's three. But uh, to Sean Avery saw this picture, he's our fusion pastor, one of them this week, and he said, Pastor Phil, I have a meme for that picture, God's face when you don't trust him. <laughs> Do you realize it hurts the heart of God, your father, when you don't trust him? God is our Father. That's how he's presented himself in Scripture. We are his sons and daughters, and there's so many times in our life where he's going, jump, come on, take the, I got you, I got you, I'll catch you, come on, take the jump. And we stand right there on the banks of the Jordan. We're still straddling, you know, the wilderness, but we, we'd like to get at least one foot in the promised land. We got one foot here, one foot. We won't quite trust him, not with everything, not completely. And I want you to see that it hurts the heart of God, our Father, when we don't put our faith in him, when we don't put our trust in him. God, I don't really think you can supply my needs. Uh, God, I don't know really if I can do anything because you say I can do everything. I, I don't don't know if I can trust what you say in Philippians 4.13. And this is what I want you to see about the crucified life. Practically, it means you trust God with every aspect of your life. It means you surrender to God everything about your life. And here's the deal. This is how you get over your fears when you get over yourself and let go of yourself. And this is what we're learning about getting to the other side. This is right where many of you are spiritually today. You're about to cross over from that place you've maybe been for years, that place of mediocrity and apathy, and you're about to cross over, and you want to know God's presence and God's power. And what we're learning is to be fearless. It is not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. Now, you've heard me say this again and again. I want you to remember this long after this series is over. Being fearless is not the absence of fear. It is the absence of self. See, you can't just decide, I have no fear. I don't believe you if you say it. We all have a measure of fear. We all have a measure of faith. Being fearless is not the absence of fear. It's simply the presence of faith. 
It's not the absence of fear, it's the absence of self. It's when self gets out of the way. You let go of your fear by letting go of yourself, and that is what is happening. By crossing the Jordan, you see, they were dying to their wilderness, and they mean resurrecting alive to God's promise. 40 years earlier, they'd chosen self-preservation instead of a crucifixion, so they did not live in the power of the resurrection. And when you choose self-preservation, I will promise you, as long as you're trying to save yourself, you're going to lose yourself. If you lose yourself, Jesus said, you're going to find yourself. It's all about letting go of control. That's the crucified life. So what does this look like? I'll tell you, I do this thing over and over again. When I start realizing I've got this fear or I'm feeling a sense of anxiety, I go through the same process over and over again. Uh, And as mature people of God, and that's why I'm trying to pastor you to maturity spiritually. We should be in touch with our fears. We should know what our triggers are, what what our insecurities are, because those are the very things Satan wants to leverage against us to hold us in captivity. You want to disarm the enemy. Don't act like you got no fears, because you're all macho and tough. Admit you have some fears, and a lot of you have. That's why we have that wall of fear. Many of you have written on it. This This is how this works, practically speaking. I told you week one, one of my fears has always been that I'd lose one of my children. And uh, I'm just telling you, you love your children when they're toddlers, but you cannot imagine how much you love them 20 years later. You know why? Because you got a lot of history with them. You got a different relationship now with them. Like my sons have become my brothers. If I could bring only two guys with me to war, and I could only bring two, I'm telling you, them two boys of mine is the one I'm bringing. That's the kind of relationship I have now with them. My daughter, she's become my sister. And I love them more than I've ever loved them. See, here's the point. If you don't deal with your fears now, they don't suddenly just diminish because you get older. Those fears grow. You have more to worry about than ever. My family is growing. I got more people to worry about than I ever have. I got a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law. That means I got more people to be fearful for, right? One day I'm gonna have grandchildren. Now, if you listen to them, not for a long, long time, many years away, but someday, here's the point, your family grows, you got more people to worry about. What are you gonna do? Worry, worry, worry? No. I'll tell you how I get over my fear of losing my children. I'll tell you why. Because many years ago, I gave my children to God. They're not mine. That's the crucified life. I surrender all rights. Uh, You get over your fear of death. Guess what? I can honestly say, I don't fear dying. I could die today and die a happy man. I could die today and having felt like I live life to the fullest, no regret. You know why? I got over my fear of death because many years ago I gave my life to God. My life is not my own. You see, anything you try to hold on to will be a source of fear, anxiety. Anything you try to hang on to, it is yours to somehow hang on to. But if you will let go of that and let God hang on to it, I will promise you, you will get over the fear of losing it. And the way you get over the fear of losing it is you just give it away. You can't lose what you don't have. 
I can tell you when I think about you know the fears that I have, uh, I still don't want to be a failure. We thought you're doing something brand new in Blue Springs. I told you many years ago I had to get over the fear of failure before I took that leap and left a career to follow this calling. And what held me in paralysis for a while was this fear of failure. I told you I got over my fear of failure when I got over myself. And when you get over yourself, you'll get over your fear. Well, guess what? I got to do that over and over again because I still don't want to be a failure. Doing something brand new in Blue Springs. I don't want this thing to fail. But here's what I've learned. Listen, God never fails. You see, it's false evidence appearing real. We can live fearless because God doesn't fail even if we fail and there's no success without failure, but failure is not final. You can live fearless because God doesn't fail. You can give Jesus the glory for that. I mean, that's worthy. I'll tell you right now, church, listen, I would rather lose my life than lose my dreams. I have dreams, I have lots of dreams. We are just getting started. I'm telling you, after 19 years, I have never been more excited about the future of our church than I am right now. After 19 years, I have never been more energized, more enthusiastic, more excited about our future than ever before in the life of our church. And we've got some amazing days behind us, but I'm convinced the greatest days are yet ahead of us. And we are right on the brink, right on the banks of the Jordan. We're about to cross over, and I'm convinced we are about to see the greatest move of God God in this city, this city has ever seen. I'm really convinced of that. I'm really convinced that we are right on the bank, we're right on the brink of seeing the greatest gospel movement this city has ever seen. We're just getting started with Blue Springs. We're going to penetrate every crevice and every corner of this city on the Kansas side and Missouri side, every crevice and every corner with the gospel. I think God's about to do something amazing that will blow our minds in the next 10 years. I really mean that. And sometimes, listen, I picture... One day, when my race is over and I break the tape and I pass the baton to another, I sometimes, I sometimes have this little fear. What if all those dreams don't become a reality? You know how I deal with that? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whose dreams are these? Are they my dreams? Then it's up to me to make them happen. But if they're God's dreams, then what do I fear? God, you're the author of my dreams. And we all need dreams. You have dreams for your life. I have dreams for my life. I have dreams for our church. But here's the point. If they're God's dreams, who holds your dreams? If they're your dreams, then you have a lot to fear. What if it doesn't happen? But if they're God's dreams, you have nothing to fear. See, it's the crucified life. I've given up all rights to my life, and Jesus has all rights to rule my life. And that is the fearless kind of life. I have nothing to fear because God holds my life. Somebody, um, as I was coming into the first service, they asked this question. Let me answer this question because some of you may be asking this question. So last week I announced that Chad Glover was our new teaching pastor at Abundant Life. And he's not just going to teach Paradigm on Tuesday nights. He's going to be preaching about 25% of the time on Sunday morning. Somebody asked, well, Pastor Phil, does this mean you're getting ready to leave? Let me just answer that clearly. No. That was a really delayed response. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit insecure up here now. Thank you. 
Some of you are going, well, I'm glad he's not leaving. Somebody else is going, oh, darn, he's not leaving. No, I'm not getting ready to leave. I think, honestly, I'm going to be here another 12 to 14 years as your pastor. I really believe that. I don't know that for sure, but I really think that. Everything I've ever envisioned about the future, God has done. I think that's what God is leading me. I think that's how he's leading me. But, uh, but we're at a time in our church where nothing should rise and fall completely on one person, including the preaching. And so our church is going to be healthier because you're going to hear from Chad Glover more consistently than ever. Uh, and, um, and Chad is every bit as gifted preaching as I am, every bit, maybe better. And let me tell you why it's unusual that somebody in my position would increase the influence and platform of somebody in Chad's position. What if they like him more than they like me? Where does that leave me? Listen carefully. Insecurity is what breeds rivalry. You have rivalry in your life. Let me tell you where it comes from, insecurity, jealousy. See, I want you to see how I got there. One, I wouldn't name somebody a teaching pastor if I thought you'd come to church and go, oh, brother, Phil's not preaching. No, I want somebody who's not even going to miss a beat if I'm not preaching, somebody that you can look forward to to hearing. That's why Chad's going to be that guy. But listen carefully. If there was insecurity, there would be rivalry. See, that's fear. That's how Satan works. And somebody, you know, several people texted this past week and emailed like, Pastor Phil, I can't believe you're giving up your platform once a month now. Listen, wait, 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 wait a minute. If it was my platform, I'd never give it up. I'd hold on to it. But it's not my platform. This is God's platform. You see the difference? See, it's easy to give away what's not yours anyway. And in Chad and I's case, we don't have any insecurity. Uh, we both know our identity, which means there's no rivalry. We don't care who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. And that's how you deal with that rivalry in your life. Get over the insecurity. Quit being jealous. It's jealousy. And all of a sudden, you don't care as long as God gets the glory. That, that, that's how this works. You give it away, and no longer are you trying to hang on to it anyway. That's how you deal with all your fears. That's how I've dealt with my fears. And it, you know, this series helped me took inventory of my fears. And I hope you're taking inventory of yours because I'm trying to tell you today, if you hang on to it, you will live a life of fear. But if you will give your life away, you will no longer have anything to fear. Now, here's the reality. Faith is the trigger that unleashes divine power in your life. How many of you would love the divine power and presence of God in your life? Yeah? I mean, that's what I want with my life. I don't want to live a natural life. I want to live a supernatural life. And I can tell you, I'm living a supernatural life. Well, I am not the Phil I used to be 20 years ago. I don't even know that guy anymore. The Phil that used to try to keep up a persona. I mean, the Phil that used to uh, try to hope you liked me and hope I could impress you. I don't even know that guy anymore. 
And God wants to do something in your life for years and years to come to release the power and presence of God in your life. And that's what's gonna happen in the promised land. For the first time, they're stepping out of their wilderness trying to save their life. They're crossing over the Jordan to do battle with giants willing to give their life. And all of a sudden, they're gonna live in the resurrection power of the living God of heaven. Now, faith is the trigger that does that in your life. Faith is a little bit like a rubber band. I don't know if you can see this, it's not very big. Some of you, this is, this is your faith right here. It begins right here, just a little rubber band faith. You're just beginning your journey spiritually, just learning you can trust God, seriously. And just a little rubber band faith. Now, now what's interesting is rubber is an interesting component. Physicists tell us that rubber has something called potential energy as opposed to kinetic energy. Kinetic energy is energy in motion. Check it out. It can be measured. But potential energy is unmeasurable. Do you understand that your faith has potential energy that is unmeasurable? Now the thing about this rubber, it has potential energy, but for that potential energy to be realized, it has to be stretched. It's meant to be stretched. Guess what, your faith has to be stretched to release that potential energy God has in your life. It's gotta be stretched. And here's the reality, I'm convinced that this rubber band, uh, this, this rubber fiber is a little bit like our faith, our faith fibers, it's a little bit like muscle fibers. You wanna get stronger physically, you've gotta stretch your muscles and exercise them daily, right? If you don't exercise your muscles daily, your body will atrophy. Guess why, some of us have a flabby faith today. Because you ain't never exercised, it has been a long, long time. And here's the interesting thing. Did you know that it's meant to be stretched? Do you realize that your body, when it gets older, naturally, you lose some flexibility? Did you know that? Like, I remember years ago, I would stretch out to get to my workout. I never dreamed that one day, the workout would become the stretch out. Your body naturally begins to stiffen. It doesn't have the flexibility, the elasticity it used to. Did you know what's true of your body physically is true of a body corporately? We're the body of Christ. Guess what? In the early days of our church, it's easy to be stretched. I mean, yeah, we're going to reach a city, and we just have a little faith, and we're just a little church, but whatever it takes, God, stretch us. We're going to say yes to anything. We're willing to go anywhere, and yeah, let's try that. That's never been done before. Let's do that, but all of a sudden, we got 19 years on us now and we're not the new church in infancy anymore and all of a sudden we don't like to be stretched well we've never done that before <laughs> Phil's never had a teaching pastor before oh we 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 went to Blue Springs one church in two locations we've never done that before and all of a sudden we don't like being stretched and I'm trying to tell you that if we want to see God keep using us to reach a city we have to keep up that flexibility and let God stretch our faith personally as well as corporately as a church family <laughs> taking risks for God taking new ground for God trying new things for God 
And I will promise if you do, check this out, just like your muscle fibers get stronger, your faith fibers get stronger, and all of a sudden, you don't have a rubber band faith, you got a bungee cord faith. And that same potential energy lives here as it did in that little rubber band, but all of a sudden, there's more potential energy. I mean, you've got more ability. And here's what you do. You put your faith in something for security to live fearlessly. The problem sometimes, though, is we put our faith in the wrong things. Listen, if you put your hope and you put your faith in your marriage, in your mate, in your money, in your occupation, in your vocation, in your health, in your wealth, you will forever live in fear because you're attaching your hope and your faith in the wrong things that cannot save you. Nobody can love you like Jesus. Nobody, not that spouse. I've told Krista, listen, you know, check this out. One of us one day is going to leave the other. It's a done deal. It's going to happen. Should we live in fear? Uh-uh. You know what I hope? My wife, because I'm going to leave her first. Because <laughs> that'll be easier if she leaves me first. I hope her faith is so such it is so attached to Jesus. Yeah, I want her to be sorry. I mean, if she, you come to my funeral, you see my wife smiling. That's not. It's because I'm worth more dead than alive, okay? But I want her faith to be attached to Jesus, not me. What if someday she loses me? Hey, let, let me ask you, is your hope, your security, and your money, your retirement portfolio, here's one of my fears. Will I have enough money to retire when it's time to retire? I told you I'm staying another 12 to 14 years, but you don't want me to stay till I'm 80. You get what I'm saying? We all have that fear. I think every one of us do it. Like, will I have enough money to retire when it's time to retire? Here's the deal. If your security is in your money, how much money will it take? There are multimillionaires that lack security. How much money will it take? Just a little bit more, no matter how much more you have. See, when your faith is in the wrong thing, you will never have security. You will never live fearlessly. But when it's anchored to the cross, the crucified life means even when I'm free falling and I've lost my health and I get that debilitating diagnosis and all of a sudden the C word enters my life, the cancer, and I never dreamed that it would, all of a sudden it feels like I'm free falling, like I'm bungee jumping and I'm falling to my death, but I'm not. I'm anchored to Jesus and Jesus is not gonna let me fall even though it feels like I'm falling when I've lost my health, when I've lost my wealth, and I've lost my job after 21 years, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and I don't know where I'm going to go. God is stretching my faith, but it's anchored to the strong arms of Jesus, and the hands of Jesus are completely sufficient to provide for my every need, and the feet of Jesus is completely sufficient to take me anywhere I need to go and carry me through any storm that I have in life. The question is not, are you a person of faith? We all are. 
Faith is believing something you can't fully prove that you can't fully see. The question is what you're going to anchor your faith to. And God is trying to anchor our faith completely and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the sovereign right over my life, and his rule in my life is always right. His grace is all sufficient. It is absolutely always enough. And when I start operating out of faith, all of a sudden, the divine power of God is unleashed in my life. And this is about what's going to happen here to the children of Israel. They're about to cross over, verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. God's saying, I'm going to do a miracle and I'm going to part the water, but I'm not parting the water till you stand in the water. Only when you put your faith in motion and am I going in motion. And what are we doing as a church family? In the days ahead, we are standing in the water. We are standing in the Jordan by faith as we seek to pay off another $5 million of our debt and start a brand new church somewhere overseas and partner with the Blessing House Ministry to reach African refugees in our own city and start a brand new campus in Blue Springs, Missouri. You see, faith has unlimited potential, unlimited energy. You move up from that rubber band faith to the bungee cord faith, eventually you have this kind of faith. You say, Phil, what is that? <laughs> Thought you'd never ask. I started doing a little research on these bungee cords. Guess what this is? This is the inside of a bungee cord. Did you know the inside of a bungee cord is nothing more than thousands of little rubber fibers? That's all it is. Now, one of these little rubber fibers would not possibly have been strong enough to keep me from falling to my death. But when you put tens of thousands of these little rubber fibers together, all of a sudden, it's got a component in it with unlimited energy, potential energy. And that's the nature of all of our faith. As you exercise that little, little fiber of faith God has given you, he gives you yet more fibers of faith and more fibers of faith till all of a sudden, you've got something that can firmly anchor you. And did you know that each of these thousands of little faith fibers represent our corporate faith together as a church family? You see, when you put your faith with my faith and our faith with other people's faith, all of a sudden there are hundreds and thousands of people all praying for the same thing, all working for the same thing. All of a sudden we as a church can see God do supernatural things as we stand in the Jordan and believe God to do the impossible. And that's what's happening here now as they go forward by faith for the first time in years. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know the living God is among you. Do you know that the living God is among you? The living God is among us. The living God is here right now. He wants to do unbelievable, amazing things in you and through you and for you. The living God is upon your life as a child of God, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Termites, <laughs> and all these other ites of the ancient world. Now, this is where a lot of people begin leveling all types of accusations against our God. Well, what kind of a God would do this? This sounds like genocide. Listen carefully. 
You come back at 4.30 over in the core, we do something called the well. It's a deeper dive into the Bible. What we learn is all these people groups drew their bloodlines back to the Nephilim. These weren't happy, holy people minding their own business and the big bad Hebrews came along and took away their land. That's not what's going on at all. These people have bloodlines that go back to a demonically seeded race. Real giants. Seeded by Satan. And yes, modern archaeology has proven there were giants in the land of Canaan at this time in history. This is who they were driving out of the promised land. God had seeded his people to keep, or I should say Satan seeded his people to keep God's people out. And that's what God has done for you. He's got a promised land for you and Satan always seeds giants ahead of you to keep you in the wilderness instead of the promised land. He said, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. I want you to see, there's God's part, there's your part, part and God doesn't do his part until you do your part. God's promise of a miracle of parting the waters was entirely conditional on what Israel did next until they stood in the Jordan and took that step to stand in the Jordan. God wasn't going to part the water. They could have stood on the banks of the Jordan all day long and said, God, we believe you can part the water. Just as soon as you do, we'll go over there. God, we believe you can do a miracle. God, we're waiting on you. Now listen carefully. The entire time they were waiting on God, God would have been waiting on them. God wants to part the waters in your life. And so many people spend their entire life, well, I'm just waiting on God to make his move. I'm waiting for my big moment. I'm waiting for the big move. No, 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 wait a minute. God is waiting on you to make your move. And he's not going to make his move until you do. Yeah, I know Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Understand, waiting on God never implies doing nothing. It always implies doing something. You're doing the something while you're waiting on God to do his thing. And until you put your feet in the water, God's waiting on you. Quit waiting on him. See, most of us don't want to take any risks. We don't want to use any faith because it's risky and it's scary. And so all of our life, we're just going to test the waters. Well, I kind of want God. I don't want too much of God. Until you put both feet in the water by faith. God's not going to part the waters. Because the move of God is conditional on faith and action, which is obedience in motion. And when we put our faith in motion for God, God then goes in motion for us. You don't wait for the provision to act on the vision. God gives you the vision. It's a call to action. And then God brings the provision. And this happened over and over again in the life of our church. 
happened again in November. I announced that we were going to Blue Springs to plant a campus. Guess what? We didn't have any provision. We just had the vision. We didn't have a campus pastor, didn't have a location, didn't know what we were going to do, didn't have all the answers. We just knew this is how God is calling. We're going to say yes to God. We're going to stand in the Jordan, wait for him to part the waters. Now check this out. That trip to Dallas, that very trip to Dallas, something significant happened. We'd been trying to lease a building over in Blue Springs. Wasn't a lot of options. Wasn't a great building. It was a good building. Wasn't a great location. Good location. We'll try to make it fit. It's going to be kind of a force fit, but it's the only thing out there. And we worked for weeks to try to sign a lease. Couldn't get the deal done. Coming back from Dallas, Dave Williams calls me on the phone, says, I have bad news. We're going to lose that building. It's not going to happen. This deal's imploding. And I'd been pushing, come on, we gotta sign that lease, gotta sign that lease. It's blowing up. And then a little panicky thing sets in. I've already said we're going to Blue Springs, what are we gonna do? Well, I'm gonna look like the fool. Guess what I did next? I went right back to the cross. God, this is your church, it's not mine. So I'm gonna trust you to take care of all the stuff I can't control, right? Greg Light, one of the videographers went on that trip, he's from Blue Springs, he gets out of his computer, starts looking at locations that are available. Dave Williams had looked at most of them, didn't know about one that was just coming open, not gonna tell you where, but if you're familiar with Blue Springs, you might already know, when I give you this little clue, come back tonight, I'll tell you more. For two years, there was a movie theater going in there, guess what, not anymore, all along. God said, there's a church going in that building. Not a movie theater, there's a church going in there. Here's the deal, had we signed that lease like I wanted to on that first building, we'd have never even known about this second building. That's always how God works. You, you say yes to the vision, only then do you get the provision. Didn't know Steve was gonna be our campus pastor, didn't have a clue. And all of a sudden, God starts working on your behalf because you simply said yes to God when you put your faith in motion. You see, we're learning ultimately that if you want to see God do the supernatural, you've got to attempt the unexplainable. What are you attempting to God for God that you cannot fully explain? Joshua said to the people, and I remember Joshua, same name as Jesus, not coincidental. Joshua, Hebrew, Jesus, Greek. Jesus said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. You want to see God do wonders in your life, miracles in your life. Sanctify yourself. Phil, what does sanctify mean? Sanctify is another way of saying crucify. Jesus is calling us to fully die so we can be resurrected, fully alive, and you will never, ever be fully alive until you have fully died. Jesus is bidding us to come and die and when you die and let go of your life, I will promise you're gonna be resurrected to live a fearless life. McKay, she became quite the fearless young lady. Took a year or two to get there, but eventually she learned to trust the strong arms of her father. She learned to trust the hands of her dad. Do you know that's the Christian life? And God, even now, for many of us, is saying from heaven, come on, son. Come on, daughter. You can trust me. I'll catch you.
I got this. But you don't get there until you have given up all rights to your life, until you've given up all control. Today, Jesus is bidding us to come and die so we can be fully alive. I'm gonna come down off this platform. I'm gonna do what I've done over and over again in my adult life. I'm gonna have a funeral today. That funeral is mine. And I bid you come and die so that you can too be alive. rights to the Son of God. Lord, today we lay down all of our fears, our insecurities, our anxieties. We nail them to the cross. Jesus, we give you all of our life to hold so that you hold all of our fears. You hold all of our life. I pray for every person here that God, your grace and your face would shine upon them in the days ahead as never before as they wage war for the promised land spiritually to walk in that victory of Calvary daily life abundantly not a life that's easy Lord you promise in this world there will be suffering but Lord we claim that promise that in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people of conquest, that, Lord, you would help us to conquer our every adversary. And I pray blessing upon blessing on all of us here, especially these today at this altar as we come today to have a funeral, relinquishing all right to our life so that we can be resurrected fully alive in Christ. And I pray, God, your grace and face upon every person in the days ahead, that you bless them, God, in heaven with the desires of their heart, that our dreams, God, would be your dreams, and that all the world will know that God lives in us and God lives through us for the world's good and your glory. In Jesus' name. Sweet friends, some of you need to come this way as others are leaving. You don't know what it means to really know Jesus. Today, I want to talk to you personally if you'd let me. I want to pray with you if you'd let me. Some of you have fears and things going on in your life, storms that you're really facing. And we want to pray with you. We want to minister to you. A whole bunch of people are going to be here to do that. God, I pray blessing on every person in this place that your Holy Spirit would rest greatly in the days ahead, that that faith in this place would be the trigger that unleashes divine power in every person's life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Would you give him glory with me? Praise him today, would you? Hey, I love you all a whole bunch, and I hope you have a really, really amazing day. God bless you, and God go with you.